Welcome back to Series Regular, the Hollywood Reporter's deep dive podcast into genre television. I'm Josh Wiggler, your host here on Series Regular. And for the past few weeks, we were all in on one thing and one thing only, Game of Thrones. This was your weekly window into the world of Westeros as we thoroughly explored each episode of the Emmy-winning Epic's final season. But now that window is closing. Game of Thrones is officially over, even if the conversation surrounding the series finale is just getting started. Today, we're breaking down The Iron Throne, written and directed by creators David Benioff and Dan Weiss, which means we're diving deep into full-on spoiler territory. So if you're listening to this and you haven't watched the series finale yet, turn off the podcast, turn on the episode, watch the action unfold, then come back here and give this a listen. Here with me to break down the series finale of Game of Thrones, THR TV critic Daniel Feinberg, a.k.a. Dan the Broken. Dan, how are you doing, my friend? See, Josh, there are so many other different adjectives that one could use to describe me. In the same way that there might have been other adjectives one could have used to describe Bran, why did Brand not just say, hey, why not use one of those different adjectives? I'm more than just broken. Well, because I think Tyrion always called him Brand the Broken. And uh, much like the, the lost time travel rules, you can't uh, you can't change the future. Whatever happens, happens. That seems to be the way that uh, that Brand interacts with reality. And besides, Brand's kind of been like, I don't really care. You know, I don't really care about much. Call me Brand the Broken. He doesn't seem to get hurt too easily anymore emotionally. So he seems fine with it, Dan. I don't know. As as nicknames go, though, y you got the three-eyed raven right there, and it seems to me like a much better nickname. But that's that's just my own opinion on the subject. I think that they're trying to add to his list of titles. You know, I think that they had a strong template in Daenerys Targaryen, she of so many names and titles, that they really want to lay that upon Bran as many as they can pile on. Oh, well, I mean, at least... The person who ended up sitting on the Iron Throne, not literally, we'll discuss that, ended up being someone who actually was a participant through the entire series. Otherwise, we could talk about how the Survivor season played out. <laughs> oh, my God. For a very niche segment of a series regular audience, that is going over. I was going to say going over well, but actually probably just causing people to fly into a fit of rage. Myself included in that, I should say. Uh, <laughs> so let's stay on track. Let's let's get back on track. We're talking about the fact that this series ended in a way that I think is is rather divisive just based on the reactions that I am seeing. A lot goes down in the Iron Throne. Daenerys Targaryen, the lone casualty of the episode. She is the only person who does not survive the episode as far as main characters go. I don't want to belittle the Lannister soldiers that are executed early on in the episode. The Iron Throne does not survive the episode. As you mentioned, Dan Drogon the Dragon burned the thing to the ground, but there is a new king of Westeros, and it's Bran Stark, which is a bit of a surprise for a lot of people, I think. If you are listening to this and haven't checked it out yet, Isaac Hempstead Wright, the great actor who plays Bran Stark, wrote a really great guest column that we have featured on THR.com slash Game of Thrones, where he talks about his journey through Game of Thrones and growing up with the show, starting as a young child and finishing off as the king of Westeros. A really great read that I recommend. But as I was saying to you, Dan, before I got on the podcast, we're recording this not quite 
24 hours after Game of Thrones aired its series finale. I have yet to have a conversation with another human being about the Game of Thrones series finale as I have been so deep in the writerly trenches that you shall be the first person that I talk about this episode with. And I would just love to know what another human being thinks of the Iron Throne. What did another human being think of the way that Game of Thrones ended? What are your overall impressions of this final episode? It depends on which of the pieces I choose to concentrate on, honestly. I thought there were a lot of really great moments in the finale, and I think that if I come to the conclusion that it was underwhelming and confusing and disappointing that Bran ended up the king, I think I can give you an explanation wherein I view it as being a feature and not a bug necessarily, but... yeah. I can also, if I want to get hung up on the fact that it's a bug and not pay any attention to the fact that it's a feature and get really, really frustrated with things. So I can I can go either way. I can be as positive or negative as we want to be. I, so I guess that means that my opinion on the finale was mixed. Yeah, I think same same here. I, I didn't have really an extreme reaction one way or the other. I didn't know if I was going to walk away from this episode loving it hating it, being exasperated by it, being enthralled by it. There was a lot that I really enjoyed. I, I think that a lot of what I have enjoyed about the final season was consistent here in the finale. Uh, the performances across the board have been pretty A-plus for me. You know, the craft behind creating Game of Thrones, some of the shots in this episode, Daenerys walking down the stairs of the Red Keep with the dragon wings rising behind her, really stunning stuff and, and very memorable imagery for a series finale. Um, and then, you know, a couple of stories decisions that maybe rubbed me the wrong way, but I don't think agonizingly so as some of these story points have really seemed to hung up with other people just on social media reactions that I'm seeing here. But talk to me about the the bug versus versus the feature. Tell me the two different sides of the coin that, that you're seeing. I'd love to hear you talk that out. Well, okay. So if you want me to justify Bran being the king, I think it comes back to a thing that we've talked about several different times regarding Jon Snow, is that it comes down to who you think you could have put in charge who would basically prevent an uprising. And I think that Bran is a viable answer in that. And I think that the show made no real effort to prove that this was supposed to be an awesome thing. And so I think if you were looking for kind of the satisfying happy ending in which the person who was put on the throne was the best candidate for the job and everyone was like, woohoo, it's awesome, fantastic, yay, it's a brand new day in Westeros. I don't think that that was what we were supposed to come away with here. I think we were supposed to come away with a, the idea that Bran had no desire whatsoever to ascend to the throne, and I think that the show acknowledged that completely, and also that no one really particularly thought he would do all that great a job, uh, that basically the deal was, okay, we'll make him king, Sansa will rule the North, so no one will need to worry about that anyway. She's totally satisfied with ruling the North, and therefore she isn't going to attempt to march south and whatever. And then to make matters more amenable to Bran, he was going to have Tyrion as his hand. And so, you know, even though Tyrion's given us no particular indication that he's actually all that smart for several seasons now, might as well have him right. there. And basically kind of an all-star team of our supporting characters as his, as his high council. So... 
what we were supposed to come away with was the feeling that Bran was kind of a placeholder and that it was totally cool that he was never going to be able to have heirs because heirs cause war, et cetera, et cetera. So if you came, if you wanted it to be a good justification for having him as king, the justification the show gave you was, eh, it'll do. <laughs> and I, and that's right. what I think they, they wanted you to come away with. So, okay, that's how I, how I view the decision as being kind of a feature. Now, as for the bug, what is the scene before Tyrion meets with the High Council of Supporting Players in the arena. What is it that they demanded of Grey Worm, that Grey Worm agreed to, that Grey Worm brought Tyrion out there to them? What set up that scene? The other piece of that, too, is how how is Tyrion even alive at that point, or Jon Snow for that matter, when we're seeing Grey Worm and the Unsullied just execute people in the streets of King's Landing for the crime of following their queen's orders, Jon Snow and Tyrion conspire and successfully assassinate Daenerys Targaryen, and they're left alive for a month? That feels a little implausible to me. Um, well, I guess what I would say there is that... They were acting on orders of the queen to some degree when they were killing all of the soldiers. So there was a specific order that they were following. There was no specific order that they would have been able to follow regarding the assassination of the queen. And therefore, perhaps they were a little bit stymied and they were like, Okay, well, no one's in charge, so who's going to give the order? Like, how long did King's Landing not have anyone in charge to any degree? The answer apparently is a few weeks, and that confuses me also. Yeah, you have to gauge it based on the facial hair growth or the regular hair growth, as it were, for Kit Harrington, who I don't know if he actually grew his hair back to normal Jon Snow length or if they if they gave him a little bit of a wig. But I would guess based on the hair length, it's about a month of lawlessness in King's Landing. And I mean, I, I at least appreciate that to the, to the extent that it's been hard to track time on Game of Thrones for a couple of seasons now with people being able to fly from Winterfell to Dragonstone in what appears to be no more than an hour, that it seems like it, it took a little bit more effort to get the lords and ladies of Westeros to King's Landing to at least have the election. Took about a, a few weeks, and I'm okay with that. Oh, okay, but so go back to my initial question. What was it that they requested of Grey Worm that he bring Tyrion out for? What was the purpose of that parlay? Yeah, are, are they actively seeking the election? Is that is that something that's even on their mind, or is that just something that happens spontaneously? And why would Grey Worm agree that that was a, a thing that he wanted to have any participation in whatsoever? Right, yeah. <laughs> And and then he's telling Tyrion to shut up. He's like, this is not a meeting for you to talk. At which point, Sam proposes the introduction of democracy. Everyone laughs at Sam for proposing the introduction of democracy. Everyone appropriately tells Edmure to shut up because whatever. But then Tyrion goes on a long monologue and Grey Worm's like, ooh, okay, keep talking. Your ideas intrigue me, and I would like to subscribe to your newsletter. I don't, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Who doesn't like a good story, Dan? I think that that is the the message of Game of Thrones. That even the hearts and minds of a of a heartless, mindless soldier like the Unsullied Captain's Grey Worm can be swayed by a compelling narrative. Okay, so of the people who were on that platform and at that meeting. Where would you rank Bran's story compared to the rest of them? 
not as high as Sansa Stark. I think Sansa Stark would have been my pick, though I don't know how she would have felt about... She seemed pretty dead set on separating the North from the rest of the realm. I wonder if she changes her tune, if she knows that she is being eyed for the top job. Who else? It's certainly, it's not Edmure. I'll tell you that. <laughs> the fact that he even, the fact that the finale even dedicated any airtime to Tobias Menzies standing up and having that moment was probably the biggest shock of the night to me personally. <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was truly and appropriately hilarious. But okay, you could almost go down. Uh, no, I I I agree. I'm just shocked that it happened. I I, could, I couldn't believe that there was of this 80 minute finale dedicated to wrapping up every single loose thread in Game of Thrones. We are we are burning a solid minute on Edmure Tully. I would not have had that on my bingo card. We also burnt a solid five to ten minutes on people walking from one place to another. True. So uh, there there were time usage issues in this finale. But okay, so you go through the people who were there. I think that without any question, Sansa has a better story. I think that without any question, Arya has a better story. I think that Yara almost certainly has a significantly better story. I think that Sam, while a ridiculous choice as potential king absolutely has one of the most fulfilling arcs in the story, though I'm also kind of curious when he came for this parlay, where did he leave Gilly and John John and Sam Sam? Right. They're probably back in the north or they're at they're at a they're in a hotel somewhere in Kingsley. <laughs> that, that's what I was wondering is like, is there a convention hotel that they're just staying at? <laughs> yeah. King's Con. Like you can you can just, you know, like he was going out. He's like, we're going to have this meeting with Tyrion that I don't understand. You guys can go spend the afternoon at the pool. Like, I, I feel right. like that conversation needed to be shown. Um, But yes, to my mind, of the people there, the story issue and whether story is a qualification for ruling i don't know that the show did a very good job of illustrating the point it thought it was making i think part of it is i mean brand pretty clearly he's been the 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 fuel of a great many internet joke over the past couple of years but i think that the audience's emotional investment in brand stark has been minimal at best over the past couple of seasons i don't think that it helps matters much that the show completely sidelined him for an entire season that he's completely absent from the entirety of season five we're just to assume that he's having some kind of training montage in the cave of the three-eyed raven though by the time we see him again in season six he's progressed but we don't really get a sense of just how far he's progressed season five is also the season where we go to dorn and waste so much time in dorn which is one of the most maligned storylines in all of game of thrones and i think that with the outcome of bran on the Iron Throne, I I feel like in retrospect, I'm even angrier at the Dorne storyline than I thought that I ever could be because that could have been de-emphasized in favor of bringing Bran back onto the show, showing us some of his interactions with the Three-Eyed Raven, him interacting with history. Perhaps there's some sort of mystery that could be, some sort of mystery narrative that could be crafted there as he's diving back into the past. As, as far as we got, most of Bran's interactions with his powers, with the past, had to do with Jon Snow and his Targaryen roots, which ultimately don't seem to matter much in the grand scheme of things. And if Bran is going to end up being the king, there could be an entire storyline that we just never got about him learning a little bit more about the Targaryens who've ruled, 
getting some lessons in that regard, seeing firsthand through his magic history machine what bad rulers look like, what good rulers look like. And maybe there's a few more pieces on the board that help add to Bran's eventual case of why he should be the king of the land. And I think it would have helped some audience investment issues as well. I, I think they definitely could have justified that. I just I just wonder if that's what the show wanted to do. The question becomes, who insisted that it had to be Bran at the end? When did they know it? And what determination did they make working backwards regarding how well they had to justify it and what they wanted to leave the audience feeling with? And I think it's entirely possible they simply wanted to leave the audience feeling kind of mad about it, I, that they just didn't want it to be this wonderful celebratory thing. Uh, and then they wanted to make sure we spent quality time at the at the council meeting uh, so that we could see that somehow, for no reason I can understand, Braun became master of coin. I don't really get yes. that. Uh, and, <laughs> right. and so basically the only thing we were able to determine is that Bran is probably not going to be a hands-on ruler and that if he's not a hands-on ruler, basically all of the infrastructure improvements in Westeros are going to be for the brothels. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like he's he's actually just warging around, right? He says, like, oh, where's Drogon? No one's seen him yet. I'll go find him. So uh, Bran kind of following in the in the footsteps of many of the other kings we've seen on Game of Thrones, just kind of shirking his duties in favor of his favorite pastime, which just so happens to be magic flying. No, I, and I think that I think that is very clear is that if you look at the people who have been rulers in Westeros in the time that we've watched, and if you go back through your Westerosi history, there have been a lot of really crappy kings in Westeros. And so Bran kind of fits with that template more than anything else. There's not a there's not a sense that he's going to be Bran the Enlightened. He's just going to be Bran the temporary placeholder. And I guess that's a job. I mean, I think that one of the reasons why Game of Thrones is is going to be very interesting as a kind of a historical artifact is it's this adaptation of George R. R. Martin's novels that ends before George R. R. Martin is able to finish his novels, whether or not they ever finish, we don't even know. But it, it feels like to me we're never going to we're never going to know or at least we're not going to know for some time what from the final season, which character landing points are going to map onto Martin's version of events. But one thing that George R. R. Martin has said is that the first scene he ever envisioned for all of A Song of Ice and Fire is the scene that we see with Bran watching his father execute the Night's Watch deserter at the, you know, really early on in the series. It's the, the first viewpoint chapter of a main character in A Game of Thrones. And George R. R. Martin has said that 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 popped into his head, this idea of this boy in this very cold wasteland watching his father carry out the king's justice and then the direwolves spilled out from there. And I imagine the part that he has left unsaid is that it's the story of how that boy falls from a tower and rises up to conquer the, the land, to, to become the king. I think that Bran Stark being the king is one of those things that will take place in the books if the books ever get finished. <laughs> but I, I, I feel... I feel feel like the journey of that i mean i i i really like isaac hempstead right and there's been a lot of scenes with brand that i've greatly enjoyed but the character as written in the books has been such a more compelling character to me he's the owner of some of my very favorite chapters in the entire book series and i think that the the series the tv series just never really quite knew 
what to what to do with him and i think that that's an issue that i think people are are having is the the connection to the character just isn't there in the same way that people connect to sansa or people connect to aria obviously so i i think that 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 seems to be my primary observation with why the brand thing just does not seem to be landing with a lot of folks so far it comes down to what our expectations were. Okay, so what part do you want to, what part of the, the vast endless finale do you want to tackle next? Well, I, I think to veer off of, of Bran and just into kind of the fate of of Westeros even before we get into some of the other specific characters. I think one of the one of the conversations you and I had very early on in the final season of this show as we were, you know, scouting ahead what would be satisfying, what would make for uh, an ending that sat well with you or sat well with anybody is what is the ultimate statement on power? What is the ultimate statement on the Iron Throne? Will there be some sort of heroic reclamation of the Iron Throne? Will the Iron Throne be melted to bits and done away with? And we have a version of that, at least, that the Iron Throne is no more. The Iron Throne is melted down by Drogon after Daenerys's death, and a new king rises. But we also get the scene at the council. The, the whole council scene is... is uh, <laughs> I have a lot of feelings a lot of thoughts on the fact that everybody laughs and pours Samuel Tarley's face at the mere mention of opening up elections to the people of Westeros. That does not seem to go over very well with the lords and ladies. And Tyrion is going to be the one who says that by installing Bran and making it so that heirs do not rule after the king, that it won't be a dynasty in that way. The wheel is now well and truly broken, just the way Daenerys Targaryen wanted. Is that how you read it? Do you think the wheel of power in Westeros is broken or do you see this ending as, you know, the the parts are a little bit different, the colors are changed maybe, but it's essentially the same power structure is just still churning on. Well, I think they kicked the ball down the field a little bit. I think that's ultimately all that they they did. I, I don't think this breaks the wheel. I think it just sets up another power struggle at some point down the road and also sets up any number of possibilities where anybody could simply decide they want to take over. For example, we know how very e relatively easy it is to buy Braun off. So what would it take for Braun to assassinate Bran? I have no idea. At a certain point, he's probably ascended to a fairly high level, and I don't know that anyone could offer Braun king. But still, I can imagine circumstances in which there's going to be another power struggle in five to ten years. So best case scenario... What Tyrion did was he reasserted equilibrium for the near future. And that's about it. And I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing for the show to have decided it could do. You know, if they'd simply decided to have open elections, it would have been satisfying on some level, but it would have been impractical. I, I don't question yeah. that it would have been impractical. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think we're supposed to feel it's a triumphant ending. I think it is a delaying of the inevitable ending, but maybe that's just what the ending was supposed to be. <laughs> so in terms of uh, a lack of triumph in this finale, Daenerys Targaryen, she has conquered King's Landing. We are we are 
privileged to see the fruits of her labor. It is a glorious rain for about five minutes. And by glorious, I mean terrible and devastating as King's Landing has been all but raised to the ground. A lot of very haunting imagery, as we already discussed about the, the dragon wings as she's coming down the stairs. She gives a very terrifying, harrowing speech about how much she still wants to conquer and how much of the world is still theirs to take over. And she gets to the throne room and she gets to touch the Iron Throne ever so briefly before Jon Snow, spurred on by his conversation with Tyrion, takes it upon himself to take out Danny. She does not survive the series. How do you feel about the way in which Game of Thrones shipped off Daenerys Targaryen and had Jon Snow being the one to deliver the killing blow? Well, when last we talked about this, I said that, and that, I believe it was in a written back and forth last week, I said that my preference was for Daenerys to be sent back into exile, and that that right. to me kind of seemed like the full circle on her journey. Um, and that was not the way they decided to go. They needed more finality. I thought that Amelia Clark played the scene where she finally gets to approach the Iron Throne beautifully. I, I thought that was one of her best bits of acting the entire series. And as she tries to to lure John to stay with her and to con stay consistent with her vision of power and whatever, I thought that was wonderfully played. One thing I like is that I think it's very intentional that John and Tyrion have that conversation, which was a great conversation, a great scene. But what Tyrion effectively tells him is the exact same thing that Arya had told him 10 minutes earlier that apparently didn't make any impression. And you don't even give Arya and that conversation the credit. Basically, the credit that we're giving is Tyrion had this conversation where he convinces Jon to, you know, to kill Daenerys. And it's kind of telling that Arya is negated in this conversational process. So I think that's both intentional and also kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how many triumphs does Arya need? You know, she <laughs> killed the Night King, right? You know, give Tyrion something to do at this point. Sure, but it's still one of those things that you always see on, on Twitter where, and usually this comes from women, where they complain about all the different times in their lives where they've given a suggestion, been largely ignored, and then a boring guy gives the exact same suggestion five minutes later and the boss is like, ooh, great idea. Uh, this yeah. felt to me like something to that effect. Is is Arya really said the exact same thing that Tyrion said? Tyrion was very repetitious, both of what Arya said and of things he said a dozen times, and yet we're giving Tyrion the credit for swaying John in this case. Poor Arya, says I. Poor Arya. Your friend and mine, the great podcaster and former Survivor player Rob Sesternino, likes to say that Jon Snow is like a bad Survivor player in that whoever gets to him last tends to be the direction that he goes. Whoever he speaks to most recently, that's the voice of impact for John. So it's, it, it may just be a matter of he talked to Tyrion after he talked to Arya, and Tyrion's voice being the most recent voice he heard is what's echoing in his brain as he is approaching Daenerys Targaryen. Okay, explain to me why Drogon melts down the throne. 
the idea that I have seen thrown out a lot is that Drogon is melting down the actual thing that killed Daenerys and Drogon being a dragon connected to the Targaryens and Jon himself being a Targaryen connected to the dragons. There is a mutual understanding that it's not Jon who kills Daenerys, but it was power, Dan. It was the pursuit of power that broke Daenerys Targaryen and the Iron Throne being the symbol of that corrupting force had to be destroyed does that sit well with you do you buy that i do not believe that we had enough scenes that properly established drogon as having an intellectual process for me to fully buy into that i can totally see how what the dragon does on a symbolic level is rousingly satisfying I don't think we established that dragons have much intellect and therefore for dragons to be making symbolic gestures feels a little bit out of left field. I can kind of take the idea that basically he walks in, he sees a pointy thing in in his mother and then he sees an entire chair made out of a thousand pointy things and he kills <laughs> the pointy thing. Right. That's the thing. I mean, without uh, without having witnessed the crime, that seems to logically track for a dragon. But I think that there, there are moments throughout the series where Daenerys's mood, how she feels toward a given scenario, gets reflected in the way that Drogon approaches the scenario. Like, I don't think that you have to look much more recently than the bell than the most recent episode before the series finale when not even thinking about the King's Landing conquest, though, of course, Drogon's ferocity matches Daenerys there. But I'm even thinking about the execution of Varys and the way that Danny at that point is is a bit of a, you know, a, an echo of her best self. She is already starting to lose herself. There is this growing sense potentially in her of, you know, kind of a quiet rage. And when she orders Dracula Karis against Varys rather than just automatically setting Varys on fire it's a little bit of a of a of a slow burn in the sense that Drogon he, he kind of stalks out of the shadows really takes his time to open his maw get things really heating up internally before he spits that fire out and consumes Varys so I think it's not something that has been explicitly mentioned on the show but there being some level of empathy between Drogon and and whether it's it's purely generis or maybe even the circumstances around him, he seems to at the very least reflect her mood from time to time. But I think that this is also, you know, you're reading into things just to just to make things make some sense. The truth is, is he probably should have ravaged Jon Snow in that scene. But but I mean, in this case, Daenerys's mood was primarily dead. And so, uh, you know, that means that at a certain point, Drogon there is freelancing and this is how he decides to freelance is not to burn Jon Snow to a crisp, but to to destroy the symbol of the patriarchy because Drogon is woke. I I don't know. I I am a little unsure on Drogon's motivations, which I do not feel have been spelled out well enough for us. And so I raised my eyebrow at that. But on the other hand, since I've been saying for a long time that the Iron Throne was going to get melted down, yeah. But I, I think Take I your still, points. Take your points. I, st- I still think I would have liked for it to have happened with a character with actual agency doing it as opposed to a uh, fire-breathing killing machine. Just like elemental anger. So did the Iron Throne die by cheating? Is that what you are saying? Something to that effect. I Yes. <laughs> 
strange. All right, well, let's talk about Jon Snow, who survives the series, and that was a bit of a shock to me. I kind of expected, for a long time, I think a lot of people expected that the guy who died once before probably going to die again. Instead, Jon Snow is allowed to survive. He does not get annihilated by Drogon after betraying and killing Daenerys. He doesn't get executed by Grey Worm. He gets sent back to the Wall, and I've seen a little bit of confusion about the ending of Jon Snow's story, which also serves as the ending to the series in which John does not stay at Castle Black. He passes through the wall alongside a bunch of wild things. I think there are some people who feel like John's just going for a stroll with his fellow neighbors at Castle Black. I took that to mean that Jon Snow is not sticking to his punishment, is deciding that he will not live out his life in service to the wall, and instead he is going to the true north as he was invited by Tormund just a couple of episodes ago, and indeed perhaps may even be the king beyond the wall, Mance Raider style, moving forward. What was your interpretation of the Jon Snow ending? My interpretation was that he was sent to the north with no particular reason to believe that the Night's Watch was actually an activated thing, and he simply made the determination that he was perfectly happy to go live with the Free Folk because there was no actual structure, and so whatever. Like, I don't know that anyone had a good faith reason to believe that he was going to go and serve and take the black, as it were. Instead, he he went and, you know, he's, go he's doing more symbolic duty in the North, and that to me is fine. Were you okay with the fact that he couldn't summon a smile either for being reunited with Tormund or with his darn direwolf? All I wanted was a little bit of a smile, and instead, Kit Harrington kept the exact same face for all six episodes this season, and man, that's a mopey guy. There was a, there was a little bit of a smile. I felt like there was a, a hint a hint of warmth. Though maybe I'm I'm taking Ghost's clear giddiness at seeing his old master and transposing that onto John, where that giddiness did not quite exist. But I I feel like we we were especially hard on the guy for not showing any love towards Ghost once upon a time, and now they seem they seem like they're hitting it off again. Seems like you know they're old friends reunited. No problems, no harm, no foul. I wanted a bigger smile. I wanted a you hug. <laughs> I wanted I wanted them to tussle and wrestle and and for there to be and for the last line of the entire series to be who's a good boy you are. That's what I that wanted. That would be good. That would have been a good ending. I would have liked that. I like the idea that you know, I I don't ultimately know necessarily why we had to spend so much of the series energy on John being the product of a Targaryen and a Stark marriage. I don't, I don't know. Ultimately, I, I have a lot of thinking that I still need to do on that particular subject as to why that was such a crucial component of the show for the past couple of seasons, when ultimately, how much did it amount to? Was it that his claim to the Iron Throne is really what drives Daenerys over the edge? Is that the ultimate purpose, that his claim to the throne, this thing that he doesn't want, because it exists, just the very fact that it's real helps to bring about this chaotic war in King's Landing. Is there more to it than that? I'm not really sure, but but I appreciate the fact that at the end, Jon Snow, who is this guy by by birth, is bound to the Iron Throne and, you know, through his Targaryen lineage and by his Stark lineage is a guy who is so honor bound, is so duty bound and has so much of that instilled in him by a father figure like Ned Stark. 
that instead John kind of chooses to embrace those two sides, sort of the fiery, chaotic aspects of a Targaryen, the unpredictability of a Targaryen, and the true North quality of the Starks. And rather than just stay at his post at Castle Black, I love the idea of him going north and kind of embracing a kingly destiny, but not the one that anyone would have expected. I think it's it's a it's a more satisfying ending ultimately for me than if John had just gotten roasted by Drogon. I, I'm glad that he gets a chance to kind of lift this out. And I've seen several people on on Twitter making jokes about how appropriate it was that John ended the series with a redhead from the north. So that's that's all that right. matters, really. <laughs> that's good. That's good. How about uh, how about another redhead in the north? Sansa Stark, Queen in the North. Any any takes one way or the other? I mean, I, this is something that I was hoping to see for quite some time, though. I suppose I am confused as to how she was able to secede from the realm right in front of the Prince of Dorne, who you have to imagine was itching to do the exact same thing. There were a lot of subsequent follow-up conversations that didn't really uh, make it onto screen, nor did we get to find... We didn't find out even who the ruler of Dorne was at this point, did we? No. I'm just going to go ahead and assume it's Quentin Martell, and he has a happier ending on the show than he did in the books. Okay. So... So I guess I liked it and I, I, you know, definitely Benioff and Weiss had made sure that they watched uh, Shakar Kapoor's Elizabeth before this, because basically the scene of her being crowned as queen is basically taken shot for shot from Elizabeth. Um, I was I was fine with it. I, you know, Sansa, things sort of come and go with her. I still don't understand why she had to throw uh, poor Bran and his general impotence under the bus at that big meeting, you know, who who really needed to discuss the fact that Bran can't get it up and can't bear children? Come on, that seems fa- fa- fairly embarrassing to uh, yeah, exactly. a little mortifying to do to your to your sibling in front. This of this is what I'm saying, but still I she had a growth over the series and this was what she wanted and she wanted it from the very beginning and she didn't have to be married to Joffrey to make it happen. Now she's a queen and la la la, she can dance around with her scepter and her tiara and I guess I'm happy for her. How about Arya Stark, who I know is a favorite character of yours? She gets to survive. I am wildly wrong with my death predictions about Arya. I am happy, happy, happy to be wrong. She gets to go west of Westeros. Uh, Who knows what she is going to encounter out there? Are we going to see Game of Thrones 2 starring Arya in 10 years? Are we going to get to see what's west of Westeros with Arya Stark? I assume that at a certain point, those conversations will be whispered because they know that they have a beloved character who has now set off for parts unknown that could become literally anything. Uh, and I would I would give that a chance. I, you know, I think Arya is probably one of those characters who the more you see of her, the less her mystique exists and that her mystique is somewhat essential to being amused and entertained by the character. But I, I'm happy that she survived and I don't think it would have made any sense for her to have stuck around and to be, you know, anybody's right-hand woman. So I was I was happy with that. I, f- I felt as if she got a reasonably satisfying answer and she could, she could go off anywhere to do anything. So whatever it is that you want for Arya, that could be what she's going off to do. Were you surprised at all by the fact that the, that the series ended, not just, you know, the bittersweet was the word that was thrown around attached to the Game of Thrones finale for forever. You know, George R. R. Martin talking about how that's the that's the mood he's aiming for with the end of his series. Actors talking about how it ends on a bittersweet note. Uh, but I, I think that the thing that surprised me 
the most about the way that the finale concluded wasn't anything tonally if anything it was it was almost more sweet than than bitter i found but the open-endedness of it i think i i may have expected a little more finality than we got but with a story like john who's ranging far beyond the wall to who knows where sansa is reigning as the queen in the north and who knows what the fate of the north is going to be moving forward Arya is charting a path towards parts unknown you know aspects of the map that do not exist in any coffee table book that George R. R. Martin has uh, has presided over. Uh, there's there's so much of a quality about the way that Game of Thrones wrapped up that leaves so much to the imagination that you can't help but start thinking about when's the sequel? When is that going to happen? Is that going to happen? Is it inevitable? We're talking about the successor shows. All of them has, have been described as prequels. And so for me, I just expected a real you know, closed case by the end of Game of Thrones. Are you surprised at all by the open-ended nature of the finale? No, this was, this is honestly the kind of finale that I like, where it kind of resolves the, the key issues that need resolving, but also gives a strong impression that life is going to continue on after it. I, I think that that is always my preferred way to end a series is, okay, here are the dramatic stakes that we established being resolved, but it's not as if life ever ceases to have any stakes. So yes, we solved the problems of the series to the degree to which we could, but now what? And I'm, I'm okay with that being the ending. And if HBO gets desperate in a couple of years and decides it's time to, to do a sequel, it wouldn't offend me, but there's also nothing that I need a sequel for. So that's that's how I'm perfectly happy to leave it is if you bring me back to this world, would I be amused? Maybe under some circumstances, but do I right. need it? No. How about the finale's role in in sort of the, the conversation around the final season, which has been uh, divisive at best, very frustrated at times? I think it, whether it's a vocal minority or if it's the majority of fans who have expressed some level of disappointment, people have been very online with their disappointment toward Game of Thrones here in this final season. Occasionally, you and I as well, Dan, in our in our written backs and forth. Uh, did the finale do anything to help the reputation of the final season for you? How do you think the finale is going to have an impact on the legacy of Game of Thrones, ultimately, as we're closing the door on this series? I don't think it's going to have elevated the legacy, certainly, and I don't think it's going to have exactly stopped whatever the bleeding was, but I, I think that the... I think that the annoyance and frustration has been largely from a vocal minority. Uh, the fact that we are in that vocal minority to some degree is just one of those things. And I think that it is definitely true that the more you pick at the show and the more you tug at the loose ends, especially in the last two seasons, the more frustrated you can become. So I think that a lot of people really always have just loved this show primarily for the spectacle of it all and for the superb performances across the board. And so none of that has necessarily changed. Even this season in the very worst moments, the spectacle was there and the performances were generally there. So I don't think it changes anything to me. The last couple seasons, honestly, probably knock this out of a sort of a top 10, top, you know, 15 
all-time conversation. That's just my opinion, but I'm sure some people will continue to have greater enthusiasm. So no, I, I don't think it I don't think it ruined anything. I don't think it it improved anything. I think it followed along and the people who like certain things were probably very happy and the people who demanded other things were unhappy and we can all just wait back to see if we ever see how George R. R. Martin wanted to end it and I'm not holding my breath on that. <laughs> probably a good idea unfortunately. I'm going to be processing the finale all week in the form of multiple articles. I've got some interviews coming up as well. All of that will be on thr.com/game of thrones. We'll even have a little more podcasting here about Game of Thrones here on series regular. Dan, in case this is going to be one of the last times you're talking about Game of Thrones in the near future at least, is there anything else from either the series finale or the final season you want to get out of your head. I, I, a, I assume that we're probably going to have you on TV's top five later this week to talk so about it. I've heard, yes. Because really and truly, you can never talk about this too much. No, look, I, it, this has just become a very exhausting few weeks, and I know that you have felt it significantly more than I have, and you have weathered it admirably. I am looking forward to getting enough distance to maybe reflect on the series at some point, and there's no way that's going to happen anytime in the near future. So for now, all we can do is continue to swirl around in the twister and someday I look forward to getting enough distance to examine what the show was or wasn't but it's not going to happen in the next week or two I don't think there's a lot of TV that's happening right now so I think uh, you, you could be forgiven for having been on this dragon for the last six weeks and moving on to the other beasts on television in the near future that's going to do it for us here on Series Regular. We will have more Game of Thrones coverage coming your way in the very near future. As always, thanks for listening. Subscribe to the show on your various podcast platforms. Email questions and suggestions to SeriesRegular at THR.com or tweet them to me at Round Howard. And you can follow Dan as well. He is over at The Fine Print on Twitter. Dan, anything else that you're working on? Anything you'd like to plug before we say goodbye here? Only TV's top five, which uh, which will hit your podcasting channels generally on Friday mornings. All right. And I will be on that podcast ever so briefly with Leslie Goldberg and Dan later this week. So Dan, looking forward to talking to you again there and everybody else looking forward to talking your ear off again here on series regular in the not too distant future. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.